Hi there, thank you so much for listening. My name is Hannah, my pronouns are they, them. You are once again tuned into a podcast on Queer Folk's favorite tunes. Welcome to Queer Sounds. Um, I noticed that over the years my accent has changed a lot. Um, I went from Dutch to English to American back to English apparently now again because uh, I kind of tend to copy the accent of the people I'm talking to and today is no different. Um, So Suki, hi there, welcome, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Hannah. Um, yeah, Suki, she, they, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Um, uh, when, when, it, when it comes to accents, I did not expect you to sound the way you did because, yeah, um, uh, you are a promoter for a collective called uh, Queerest Punk in Edinburgh and you sound a lot more English than Scottish. Now that's true. I am actually from Cornwall, um, the very like southernmost tip of England. Um, but I moved up to Edinburgh in 2013. So I've been here nine years. Um, and so yeah, originally English or Cornish, technically. <laughs> we have our own independence movement. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone's trying to get away from England. <laughs> uh, who, who can blame yeah. them? But uh, yeah, uh, Scotland is where I've um, actually done all my music making and music promoting. So it's the actual punk scene that I've immersed myself in. What was the reason to move to Edinburgh specifically? Um, So I did study up here in the nearby town of St Andrews, which is just a mile away. And so I did have a lot of connections up here from that because no one stays in St Andrews. There are three main streets there's not really you can can't really build a life there um edinburgh's the nearest major city um also i was attracted at the time to the edinburgh festival which is a really large arts festival it's actually not so great for music it's mainly theater and comedy but there's a lot going on and uh, that kind of life in a city was quite attractive to me at the time yeah i have to say it took me a few years really to find out about the diy music scene um, it wasn't maybe the most obvious choice for that, but it does mean that you can get, there is a really nice community here because maybe it's a bit of a smaller scene, but also I think saying that it has also been burgeoning in the last few years. A lot of that is down to, particularly for the, uh, Riot Girl punk scene, this organization, Girls Rock School, which gives beginner music lessons to women and non-binary people and they've really a lot of bands have formed out of that which is a nice spirit and I'll I have to maybe mention that again later because actually one of the songs I picked is by one of the founders bands <laughs> cool uh that's a that's a nice little tease there um mm-hmm. so when you think of the music scene in Great Britain then largely uh, the cities people would think of are like uh, London and Manchester. So what what does what sets Edinburgh apart from those two cities? Um, so I think in terms of Scotland, actually Glasgow is the one that really overshadows Edinburgh a bit for the music scene. But I think, and in Edinburgh, maybe it is a more friendly scene because any town that becomes quite known for music can get a lot of people who are really, you know, who go there to make it. And so it becomes a bit more corporate you get people 
a bit more desperate to make the big time and for success. And so uh, organizing gigs, making music in a less obvious city to do it in does mean you probably uh, can, uh, you can make really nice connections with other musicians because you haven't moved there to make it big necessarily. You, you, you were living here and then you decided to get into music. So it's a bit maybe less daunting to try and break into the music scene. Let's kick off the show with one of, in my opinion, the, uh, one of the best um, bands in UK music history. Track number one for today, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine. I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go? It's always tease, tease, tease You're happy when I'm on my knees One day is fine and next is black So if you want me off your back Well, come on and let me know Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble So, uh, I recently learned that the cover of uh, the, the album this track is on, um, mm. the, uh, apparently the, the picture is shot in Thailand. I didn't know that, but there is a fun little fact for you. Um, mm-hmm. So, what made you select this track off of Combat Rock? So, this is the first song, I punk song, I think I really heard and thought, what is this? Um, it's the gateway drug to punk. I think that the clash often are for people, the gateway drug to punk. Um, for me, I actually heard it not really as a very young child. I think I was about um, 13 or 14. It was during school and we were studying in English class uh, historical Levi's adverts. And the clash is song, Should I Still Should I Go, is actually on one of those so it's probably the least punk way you can get into punk um as you know learning about advertising in school but that that uh was a very like memorable musical experience for me what made this track stand out what made you realize that you like this music it's kind of uh there's this very forthright kind of guitar chords which are very dominant hooky and the vocals quite vocal is assertive and very clear and I think that just really reached me I think punk is quite good and that grabbing your attention it can't be background music and that's something that's always appealed to me as I think something that isn't maybe a bit less in your face or there's a bit more or maybe more musically complex, but there's less 
so much going on that maybe um, uh, you don't know what to focus on. I think that's something that maybe I have, maybe I have more problem listening to. I think it's taken me a while to like work on my mental health to like focus well on calmer pieces of music. I've always been drawn to the places which are a bit more simple and bold and you in your face because then I will actually pay attention. <laughs> So were you aware of this before you were introduced to The Clash? I think I always had an idea that I quite, I had maybe heard of punk as a kind of rebellious spirit thing. So I think I was also a bit attracted to that as well. Um, but honestly, I didn't have a very musical upbringing growing up. Uh, so I didn't really feel like I really explored what I liked until it was more just uh, the odd track here and there until maybe I was like 16, 17. And yeah, and then 16, when I was 16, I was like listening to the Green Day's American Idiot album a lot. And then I really then explored yeah, the Clash and the Ramones and the Jam, old school punk, and got a bit more into things. Um earlier I feel like a lot of my childhood is more just I liked random songs my parents listened to a lot of Cliff Richard also probably the least punk artist ever <laughs> I remembered listening like I was trying I actually started thinking about my childhood musical taste I tried to think what I liked and I was like I did really like Neil Sedaka's Calendar Girl why did I like that and then I watched the video and I was like oh no there was no I actually liked the video, I now remember, and there was no heterosexual explanation for this. It was just a lot of scantily clad women, like, walking around, and Neil is singing about them. <laughs> so, uh, in your overall um, musical development, you um, got introduced to punk by The Clash, uh, but you just mentioned you were also already listening to the Green Day American Idiot album, or am I mixing oh, things up here? Sorry, I... Um, no, it's meandering on to talk about a couple of years later, I got into that when that came out. And that right. was obviously another important milestone when I think that maybe that was just so famous and such a musical moment that then I was maybe exploring more contemporary punk. So when it comes to a lack of musical upbringing, so to speak, for you as a as a uh, young teenager uh, and all of a sudden punk literally bursts into your life how mm -hmm. um, how did things change for you emotionally I definitely yeah when I was 16 I got that Green Day album and I would I would like listen to it at 2am of like my parents are starting shouting at each other and woken me up and it was definitely the very what you needed as a kind of trapped teen who was feeling angsty and just something noise like drown out your family's emotional problems so that was definitely it's it's, it's emotional release punk as well and also maybe it helps that the our really strong emotions of punk if you're not able in some ways to express your emotions where you are in life hearing artists musicians able to maybe do that for you is I think is really important and you get that release. So I um, remember from personal experience that it didn't quite matter if it was punk or screamo or metalcore or um, because all of those genres would give me the same sense of release. Um, 
was it for you like this very singular punk experience? I prefer punk um, because you probably can hear the vocals more. I mean, I I really maybe listen to hard, more hardcore punk more at gigs because then you are more swept up in the emotions. I quite like as a got a very literary background. Like all I did as a kid was read. I grew up in a hamlet of like nine houses in the Cornish countryside. And it was the days also before the internet. I feel like that's really important to mention here. I'm 34. So my musical development wasn't really, didn't have the internet there. So I didn't actually have ac as the access, which I'm really glad a lot of kids have today. I think, yeah, hearing what the actual vocals they're expressing is important to me. And I still think, I still love today that punk you often is quite political. And so you can really get a sense of that just by listening or not. You don't know, have to listen to the lyrics on repeat or anything. You can get it right away. So when it comes to um, this track in particular, should I stay or should I go mm. by The Clash? Like there are people who would argue that The Clash at that point already wasn't even that punk anymore because they got in corporate. Um <laughs> How do you, what's your view on this type of, say, punk purism? Um, well, I think that's very true, as evidenced by the fact they were on that Levi's advert. <laughs> and that, you know, the song, if your songs are, you know, able to be co-opted by capitalism that easily, like maybe you've lost some of your, the spirit of the songs. Um, I think that is a point. I mean, as a uh, punk musician myself right now and my white girl by Fisty Muffs are uh, probably one of our musical goals would be to be like decried and hated in the Daily Mail and if we were instead like lauded in them we would be in you know this terrible tabloid paper we would be very upset so I think as much as I would be hesitant to um, condemn other people for taking corporations' money because we are all surviving into capitalism as best we can. I think it's on a case-by-case -case basis. You have to probably look at whose money you're taking. And, well, Levi's probably not great, all the sweatshops. But um, uh, what and, you know, what do they do with the money? It's a really complex issue. I, but I don't know everyone's personal situations, but I'm not going out of the way to condemn everyone um, apart from obviously Johnny Rotten, who's also become just a terrible white woman person. <laughs> um, and, you know, he got started being mocked for the butter advert, but it's not really about the butter advert. It's about him, like, just becoming a, like, racist, so, yeah. <laughs> or an arsehole. So it's less about who's the dirty money and more about your politics still that would really incense me. Yeah, no, I uh, I actually had a conversation about this with a coworker of mine because um, it's funny that you should bring up Johnny Rotten because mm. a coworker of mine was defending Johnny Rotten because mm. at least he is being, at least he is being unapologetically racist and capitalistic instead of you know the Sex Pistols guitar player who is, sells his own book to make that good old Disney money with the new show that they've put on um, um, I'm not quite following that well <laughs> Logic. I don't know the the guitar player for Sex Pistols I can't remember his name for the life of me um, wrote an autobiography right and then right. Disney turned that autobiography into uh, into a six-part series Oh, is that Danny Boyle series? Yes. Oh, it's so bad. 
I watched the first episode. Oh, it was so like, cartoonish and like a series. Oh, it was not very good. And so I didn't watch any more. And I would say I would really, I haven't read, I think, was it Mike Jones or Mike Jones? Any? Um... I haven't read The Guitarist. Maybe I'm getting confused. <laughs> I haven't read his autobiography, but I would really recommend Viv Albertine from the Slits autobiography. Um, amazing. It's, you know, obviously it, she was of that crew. Um, you know, they went on tour with The Clash and she hung out with the Sex Pistols. And it's really great to have that, her perspective and her um, stories from the era, I think, is just amazing also i heavily content warn it for it for like um sexual assault and uh, drug abuse that's mentioned there all right you were close with mick jones mick jones is the guitar player for this for the clash steve jones is the guitar player for the sex pistols and it was steve oh jones sorry i was, I was getting yeah. confused we were still talking about the clash <laughs> yeah but yeah no um <laughs> god um, so many people in london with they're called they're british surnames eh? everyone's called jones <laughs> yeah either jones or smith i don't know you probably yes. have like 60 percent of the population there um <laughs> No, but like when it, when when we're on the subject of like this specific part of punk history, um, how did you learn about all of these things? Did you go out of your way to like learn about what happened in um, London in the seventies, or were you just enjoying the music and didn't quite care? I was actually just enjoying the music. I wouldn't say I'd say that most of my knowledge comes more recently. I mean, the Viv Ableton biography was part of autobiography was part of it. And just, yeah, tidbits here and there of facts. I wouldn't say I really wanted to learn about, wanted to, you know, I didn't want to be in 1970s London. Um, I was definitely more of a casual listener. And also I think it's, well, it's never that sensible to be idolizing a past generation. And also, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it for the 1970s punks. So as much, much as there was a lot of cool and it was great to get the working class DIY spirit and that like working class kids stick at musicians I mean they did a lot they were maybe questionable there was probably there was a lot of sexism back then and uh they also you hear about the old punk guys they would like they would wear swastikas just to like get away out of people just because they thought it was edgy and obviously that's completely unacceptable um but they were just like we don't actually believe it we just think it's funny because we're punk and it upsets people and obviously like any yeah that's you got to condemn it and like yeah most punks say would <laughs> yeah it's embarrassing actually isn't it the, the way i don't know it just feels like they're very naive and getting erased for the sake of getting erased out of people you're absolutely yeah. right that um and so with that, it does it does mean that i mean punk does have a problem like that nazi punks exist and yeah there are like racist punks about it's not just funny it's that's why that's then they those kind of people will be listening to the old school punk bands like the sex pistols and they won't feel like they're condemning them and that's something punk still struggles with i mean when you go to a punk gig i still automatically when you put your hands in the air i went to put my ha people putting their hands in the air at a um queer dark club night i was going to and I, I automatically was doing the pointing hand because everyone at punk scene says the pointing hand so you don't look like a nazi <laughs> but just in case not i think i've been to any punk gigs with the nazi punks but that's because everyone is so on it to be like we will not have those people in our space i've had the the privilege of not running into any actual nazi punks as far as i know but 
just for the record, I wanted to have this one out here. Obviously, Nazi punks fuck off. Uh, before we get ourselves um, riled up even more, let's take a moment to uh, get rid of that energy with some good old trans punk. Our favorite uh, dear mother, Laura Jane Grace, against me, true trans soul rebel. Against me in the category favorite favorite queer artist was the first ever um, artist in this category that that we played on this podcast um, back when we started in 2019. Um, so I'm very glad we got the opportunity to uh, play against me again. Um, no way. Main What's difference so here. Um, play back in the day. Do you remember? Back in the day, we played. I was a teenage anarchist. Um, so I am very happy that now we both have a, say, post and pre coming out against me song. So um, I mean, it's obvious why you would pick against me for this for this show. But why did you opt for True Trans Soul Rebel? This well, Transgender Dephoria Blues is generally one of my favorite albums. Agreed. Um, I also thought of Laura Jean Grace because I was considering picking against me for the gig um, question that's coming up next as one of the greatest gigs I went to because I saw them in Glasgow on my birthday a few years ago and it was just one of the best memorable gigs that I'd rem I remember. I can't pick out a particular song from it, but it was just such a nice atmosphere. It was, yeah, poster coming out. So it was definitely, I think, very queer punk. From what I talked to from people who'd been to a lot of gigs before, they were like, There's, this is the queer punks that have actually come out, which is quite really nice that you come out and like then the rest of your community are like, yeah, one, yeah, we, we love this music and we're great. We're so excited. Definitely. That we feel like we have a part hit weekend that we are belonging to here too. And it's like the nicest mosh pit I've been to, which... Um, it's just a good level. I mean, mosh pits, like some people are for some being against, but often they kind of a problem that maybe there's a lot of cis men being like over violent in the top, in the front and like taking up all the space. But I feel like this was a friendly, accessible <laughs> queer punk mosh pit. And that was a good level. <laughs> so then off of the entire album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, why, why this song specifically? I think, yeah, just a mix of the music and the kind of, and the and the lyrics. It's just the one that stands out as my favorite. And I guess, you know, True Trans Soul Rebel, it's maybe the one of the most anthemic ones. You know, you're standing up and saying, 
all maybe your pain but also how you come through it and you're like you're gonna be yourself even if it seems makes you a rebel so when um in order to create this very nice environment of like not too aggressive mosh pits and um like queer friendly uh shows um you as a book ramp promoter for queerest punk is that how do you try to achieve that with the shows you book yourself so i definitely um well i book acts that tend to be quite um well i book a mix of acts i wouldn't a book like necessarily well i wouldn't book like an all cis male bill so that's kind of partly think about the tones you want I mean, yeah, I, do. I mean, I do think that maybe the toxicity in gigs, gigs comes from too many cis male heterosexual people on stage and in the audience. So it's just because you get the toxic masculinity build up. And so anything you can do to take that, I think, and it's important to like have, yeah, bills. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't have any bands, which are all like cis male hats, but um, also general, I think maybe not having like visibly like all uh, just six all cis male bands on the stage will like change the the vibe for people as well and they'll know because it's more like accessible to everyone's represented then you'll change the vibe in the audience but yeah I think as a promoter you always just got to be very aware of the scene and of the what's going on and you just gotta hope that we're like maybe someone will let you if if you're not, you can't have eyes everywhere, but you know that you are there and accessible. If anything does happen, then you can maybe like ask someone, the bouncers to like step in. I mean, I only pick venues where I think the bouncers will step in and like support me. I do also have a sign at the front um, that always says like no queer phobia, transphobia, racism, sexism of any kind, and. Uh, also, it also says at the end, be a good cunt, because oh, in Scotland, cunt's not that really bad of a word. It's like a joke. It's like a, it's like a kind of, oh, you're a good cunt, you're a bad cunt. Everyone's, yeah. Uh, but also it kind of, I was like, well, let's just be a bit explicit because it also sets the tone. Like it's, we're not, we're not offended by like actual swearing or like if people want to get the, take their top off on stage, what we're offended by, yeah, is if you're going to actually discriminate against people and their humanity so let's just get that clear and, and which and the venue I last had it at we got a lot of through traffic because it was also a bar so I you know I tapped the sign so people just knew this is a queer punk night also I have like a million flags and this is what we're about because you I just don't want in patrons who are like I don't want to take your money if I don't think you're really gonna be a good presence at the gig yeah you um, briefly mentioned in between there, like that you needed to like stay in touch and stay up to date with the scene. How do you do that? Like, do you go to like showcase festivals or social media? How do you how do you keep in touch? How do you stay up to date? Um, so I would say for the scene, the punk scene in uh, UK, I some great showcase festivals in Dundee. We have Book Your Ain Fest. It's quite, um, that's a little small Scottish festival. And in uh, England, there's Manchester Punk Festival, which is also really nice. They've really like all kinds of punk from like hardcore, ska punk, folk punk, queer punk. And they've really made an effort to diversify their 
bill year on year to make more queer and um, female non-binary acts that they they are doing things right and it is good to go to those events and yeah make see all the bands there. So how did you get into uh, booking in the first place? So I uh, first started promoting gigs for my bands. Um, so an art girl band called Fistimuffs and then I was in a post-punk band called Voice Six for a while. And so I, uh, I think you just start doing it and you realise that's the DIY punk spirit. Why not me rather than relying on other promoters all the time? But I decided why I wanted to do Queer as Punk was because it would be nice to have a... I knew a lot of queer punk bands. It's just we ha- uh, unless you have a signposted gig which is actually this is queer punk I thought maybe maybe we're not reaching all the audiences we could maybe do people don't know where to look for all these great queer punk bands that I know about because we're not making it completely obvious that we have a you know it's just a disparate community but unless you have like a maybe more signposted queer punk events people don't realize that you need for like an umbrella gig term we need to they can get them all to come together um, which, yeah, seems to be really successful so far. I was very excited that two students came to my first gig because I was like, there, the, as someone who's in their 30s and living in a very student-heavy city, I feel like you always often feel like that's the untapped potential of gig goers you don't necessarily always reach. Um, and, yeah, obviously they just found about, they were liked queer punk and found about it online and they weren't just mates or friends of friends. So... That's why I decided to get into doing queer punk promoting. So um, when it comes to booking and promoting queer acts, some type of gatekeeping uh, is bound to happen. Like what's queer enough for a queer platform is difficult to answer. Like should it be 50-50? Should it be one uh, queer singer or like the entire queer backing band? Um how do you know where to find acts that fit your platform? I think a lot of acts, there are a lot of acts now who um, would explicitly label themselves as queer. Um, otherwise, or ones who would like to put that in their songs. Um, otherwise, yeah, to be honest, on the local scene, it's just you meet so many people that you kind of know, um, which is advantage. But I also am like, I would generally ask everyone I know, do you know anyone, any cool punk bands, queer punk bands? And so hopefully once, if I start to exhaust my long list of acts to have on, which I'm trying to add to all the time, then hopefully by that time, new bands will have started appearing or at least they will be getting in touch with me more often. (laughs) But I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I'm not, wanting to gatekeep too much but I also um the point is not just to provide a gig space for people who want to listen to queer punk but uh, also platform queer artists so I on the whole I think maybe having like the vocalist or the one of the main creative people uh being queer is important because you can really maybe that hear that in the the lyrics and the delivery um Obviously, I, I I have had an act who I wasn't sure if they were going to bring their whole backing band or not, or if they were going to do it solo because they didn't know if they, the other people would have the time off. And so in the end, they did bring their backing band who were like, oh, oh, I don't think we're queer. 
but uh also I, you it was still a very queer act because it was they they were um the solo person was and also i don't i can't i can't really go into asking everyone how many how what how their bassist and their drummer define <laughs> but it can become a bit of a minefield i really just make an effort to like seek out anyone who's making queer media and platform them before being like does i really like your band does any one of you happen to be queer <laughs> That would be probably the, oh, that, that's the wrong way around to do it. <laughs> How did you come to this strategy? Like, did you, uh, did you have to learn this the hard way? Was there a point at which you asked, hey, d do you happen to have a bi drummer so I can book you? <laughs> uh, so I think I, I overthink everything as a promoter. So I did start to worry, like, is this band queer enough? Like, only one of these, I don't know. I know this one's queer, but like, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'll just book them because I think they are all at least they're all very queer friendly and and they're one of the main well, one of the singers is queer at least and then I booked them for the gig and then I only found out well in afterwards that uh, it was a mostly queer band it was uh, three out of four of them were queer so foolish me it was ding, just ding, two ding, of ding. them were yeah more stealth pansexuals and so there we go. You can't, I, I find it very hard. I have no gaydar with men. I can't tell. So uh, I should, I, I've, I've learned basically to not assume. And if you're, if they're in a punk band where they are a bit queer, no, no, I actually probably not. But uh, maybe I, maybe I am drawn to queer punks and I just don't realize it. So how, how do you diversify within uh, the bands you book? Like, for example, do you actively pay attention to booking as many asexual people or trans people uh, instead of um, only queer punk bands that happen to be for gay dudes? So I think it's not, it's not so much about like on a gig by gig, making every gig diverse. I think I would just look at it and after like a few gigs, if I'm still have I booked enough? I actually have, don't think I've booked any asexual acts yet. So I've got some on my radar that I um, would like them to hear about more. But I think in my next gig, I think it is quite cis heavy, but like most, like my first, the last gig before that was pretty trans heavy. So I think I've, it, it should balance itself out as long as I'm always kind of aware of the back of my mind that like, Oh, have I had a lot of cis acts on lately? Maybe I need to rectify that. So, on a gig by gig basis, I probably would, I wouldn't limit myself, but it is something to I you know to look at. I think oh yeah, I probably will book some more trans acts for the next one actually. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm saying that. Now I think I will do that. Like also, they're just the hell. Cool. I don't think it's not hard actually. No, it's not. Is like it? it's not hard personally. <laughs> like it's hard to think of. Yeah. It would be hard not to put on of trans punk acts personally, but um, yeah, I guess I'm finally a be I guess it's it's paid off that I was years and years going to gigs in my scene before I decided to start this queer punk act. So queer punk nights. So otherwise, I'd have a lot harder time like trying to find them. So also, also I just met one band who I kind of want to book on a dating app so someone who's in a band i was like oh you should come do my gig <laughs> nice. so there we go it's good being single <laughs> so what is the um 
the night, the, the the lineup that you put together that you're most proud of? What what show did you host or um or book that you that that was the biggest success in that sense? Um, the last gig I did, I yeah, there was like a white girl punk band with like really um, charismatic trans woman uh, singer and and then there was the that I think that was a really good final act there was a um the cis guys who were more queer than I thought who were kind of their punk punk which I think was quite went quite well down for the crowd I think oh boy there's queer core but a lot of queer punk are maybe have a bit of pop punk sentimentalities as well I think that goes quite well together um and just what I've noticed anyway I'm thinking like we used to have Jesus and their judgmental father in in here in Scotland and there's like Martha and nonsense and uh just maybe it's just a british trend that a lot of queer punks tend to be a bit on the punk spectrum one of the students actually who came to my gig one who came to a gig and then asked about being booked which is always nice you actually always as a promoter want people to get in touch with you um i think maybe it's a bit nerve-wracking as an artist especially if you don't haven't done a lot of gigs before and i think that's a nice mix so i don't necessarily i do also we do th i do think about to some extent what bands might play played well together but I don't want them to be too well matched because I want a bit of diversity in the music as well I think a lot of gig goers actually you don't need to like think down about how they will must have someone exactly the same because oh, a gig goer wants to see them won't also want to see them but most people actually do like a range of music um so I think it's nice to have a bit of a bill where you can see the different varieties of queer punk. Yeah, I wouldn't be afraid of putting on a, <laughs> a hardcore band and then a punk put. <laughs> I actually do want to do that. <laughs> um, let's have a listen to another um, a great show that you've been to, Yao Mix, with a track called Putain. Why did you select this track for today? So I picked this over against me because nine times out of ten, I really do enjoy a more DIY uh, underground punk gig better. I feel like partly all the best nights are the ones that you're not expecting to be so good. So this band is a local Edinburgh one, um, and it's a band that before I started going to a lot of punk gigs and started playing the punk scene I saw them support a war and war on women and it was just 
I guess it's there's that sense that you're like, wow, this is accessible punk and this is just people who are like amazing, but they are all just also living in the same town and have, you know, lives just like me, but I'm there, my hero is just for tonight. And um and then they yeah, they're just there among you in the audience until they get on stage and then they become these amazing rock star punk stars. <laughs> and yeah, it was just it's just a, it's so good and such a friendly night. Um, I really, I really enjoy it. Um, it feels like it's a risk to go to small DIY shows because, you know, for every uh, great night you've been to, there were probably a lot of shows that were just kind of like, yeah, okay. So what made this band musically like so impressive compared to the other shows you've been to? So this band, um, I think I, I, you know, I was a port at the time for me quite uh, cool to see an like all female punk dyke band, to be honest as well. <laughs> I was just like, wow. <laughs> um, and they were just, I feel like uh, a DOI punk bands, they were just so good at what they did. And yeah, it does DIY punk. You're just maybe a bit more out there with your lyrics. There was, they were all very like songs about being queer and being and being unapologetic. And there's just uh, so much life to them. I feel like they also this night. I guess if you're doing a plain DIY punk, maybe maybe you're like this is a bigger night for you than if you're just touring and doing it every day. So it doesn't feel quite so. It's rehearsed, but it, maybe it's not quite so rehearsed. So anything can happen. Uh, and also it's like, you can't get that anywhere else. You can't just, at this point, they hadn't released their EP. So you couldn't just go watch it or listen to it online. So I feel that's the thing, even if it's not the best night, if it, it wasn't the best night of your life, at least you're not getting something that you could be like replicate. And yeah, if you saw them another night, it would probably be different because maybe they're not like the completely polished band who does it the same every time <laughs> yeah yeah so you're always going to something special i'd say with like one-off diy punk smaller bands do you want to give uh, some shout outs to like some venues that you truly adore that you've been to oh well i love the banshee labyrinth in edinburgh it is like a tiny wee gig space it's not very accessible because it is based based in like the basement of a really old like these caverns um it's the same kind of area that they all do the ghost tours in actually um but uh they have like yeah they're quite early in adopting completely gender neutral toilets and i feel like they're like a cheesy goth bar but and they're really do feel queer friendly i also like the wee red bar is the best place to go it really i can't think of anywhere else that's truly like affordable for diy gigs that's also got wheelchair access because edinburgh's you know really built in the in you know and kind of very hilly and also very cramped in the center and like it's not very good for accessibility in many ways so I, a lot of gigs i think like a lot of i mean that's why i was very pleased when they opened up after covid so i could book that gig in because um accessibilities can be an issue as a promoter if you've got you not got the right venues they're easy to find you really have to look for them i think that's been actually much harder than finding bands it's just making sure like looking for alter alternative diy accessible wheelchair accessible venues when i was like there is only one in my city 
but now it's reopened and um also i know the manager ones it is lovely which makes you feel like it's a supportive place um and i'd love leaf depot is also great in edinburgh which uh also is run by people in who are in bands themselves and they actually let you book the gig space for free and you just need to bring a sound engineer um so um at this point we're um hitting a time in which punk as a concept um, is uh, is is approaching 50 how how do you see like some of that um history back in the venues that you like to go uh for example in in just the way things are arranged in those venues or the people who come there people who have been coming there since since i don't know 77 82 i don't think i'm particularly care so much about the history of a venue and whether punk stuff happened back in the day it always depends what kind of nights they're putting on now so I wouldn't really idolize like I haven't been to the 100 club in London I don't really feel like I need to go to it as some sort of like punk pilgrimage um but I what is nice about punk is that the you do get the old original punks in their 50s coming to gigs right now for like new new bands and being really into it and uh which is nice because they also have more they have more money to buy the merch and support new bands <laughs> so that's um also i think like there's a, well, a punk has got to the age where maybe the original punks like children have just grown up enough that they don't have to be at home with them so like i see a lot of old old um with the original punks at gigs and that's really nice i think it really shows that like punk the punk spirit is wanting to go to bands and you don't why why would you grow out of that why would you grow out of just enjoying like new music and um the rawness of it uh. <laughs> so on one end you have these um these old school punks who are still coming to your gigs mm. on the other end there's the angsty teenager who's just starting to dabble in uh, in the genre how at your gigs do these two generations interact if at all i don't i haven't seen i think they i think to be honest actually well i mean a lot of the old school punks maybe don't maybe get in the mosh pits quite so much and i'm really dancing with them they're maybe sometimes they stand at the back sometimes they stand at the front but um so i think they're just like all coexist really that's nicer i feel like and also a lot of um yeah, a lot of the old school gigos are quite friendly and they used to chat with, but like also maybe have some awareness that like it is a bit weird talking to all generations at gigs. You want to be, I get that. And I'm like 34 and I'm like, just, just, just being friendly, like not chatting to you in a creepy way. And <laughs> so I think um, the correct, yeah, I think there's, it is nice to see all generations meeting at gigs, but. It's like you're you spend the gig together, but I don't know if anyone's like the queer punk gigs I go to anyway. Uh, so, um, as someone who is pretty much all of the time occupied with like small DIY venues, um, how often do you go to like the bigger venues? Like, do you, for example, you you mentioned Green Day. Have you ever seen Green Day in concert and like that 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 volume of venue? No, I haven't seen Green Day. I haven't been to a really massive gig. So I did go to see Youngblood in like autumn, 
which was a mid-sized venue and that was like I mean he, he you know a well-known uh pop punk act now that was great but honestly I mean it was a great show but I don't know I was kind of you're kind of lost in the back of the crowd and you can't then I still I managed to lose my friends and it wasn't even that big a crowd so I again I yeah I love the music but I don't know if it was the best gig ever because <laughs> you're a bigger act you're kind of more anonymous as a gig goer I don't know I guess there's that flip side to feeling part of a large a large experience in a crowd but if you if you're not sucked into the moment you might just feel like you're very lonely in the midst of a big old crowd at the beginning of the episode you mentioned you like punk because it's um it's straightforward it's in your face um does that also reflect your opinion on like bigger stage production for example yeah i uh i do feel like well you often for larger acts maybe you are paying for all the bells and whistles and the costumes which is great if you enjoy that but also yeah it, i do enjoy like with dio punk grads you can see them playing the instruments and you can maybe see what's going on and like you can actually notice like wow this guitar player is amazing um you can see the sweat and you're like Ugh, this guitar player is sweaty <laughs> and you do feel like you you're you know you it's, it feels so much more I like that feeling accessibility like you're part of a shared experience whether well, it's necessarily us feed them in the audience some of the, the it's actually some of the venues I go to they don't actually have stages so the gig dividing line is all like by social contract and I think and I think the punk is that is the spirit of punk is that like anyone could pick up a guitar so it is a bit weird to go to larger punk gigs and be like well the stage is so very far away and so very big that I can't imagine actually ever like how they got to these this position which a DIY punk gig you think like oh wow like it is just one of us who happens to be an amazing musician and speaking for all of us so um what uh b before we wrap up this episode what made you select the last track for today a band called sniff with the track queer so sniff is my uh most recent obsession i think maybe found about about him in the end of the last year so he actually is actually he's the bassist for a band i've seen live before called bobby funk but this is his solo project which is uh and uh, more more personal more like pop punk very personal and explicitly queer and explicitly like about being in recovery from like uh drugs addiction and just um i really love the way you feel like someone is giving you a lot of themselves in a track and but also you've got that upbeat Again, if the, if you're gonna, I really love the um, contrast in punk. If you're gonna have maybe a more like really heavy lyrics, you've also got the the music really up paced tempo and bringing you up with the emotion, as well as rather than just having heavy lyrics and also like very maudlin music. So if I'm gonna deal with something heavy, I want to be maybe taken on a kind of euphoric musical journey so like ride it out rather than just dwelling in my sadness 
And so this kind of fast tempoed pop punk, I think really complements it. And also, funny enough, this sniff is actually uh, from Cornwall, uh, like 20 minutes from the town my parents live in. Wow. And there we go. I moved all this way and I never knew that there were queer punks in at home nearby. <laughs> so maybe we just didn't we just didn't know about each other. <laughs> all right. Here's some uh, a nice little uh, uh, life lesson to um to enter the episode on get in touch with your local queer punks um with that this has been queer sounds thank you so much for listening um if you want to support the show you can do so through patreon.com slash queer sounds you can get in touch through twitter instagram and tumblr at queer sounds pod um suki thank you so much for coming on um and uh, thank you for listening here sniff